So, Mark. Yes. It's the spooky season. Is it? Isn't it always? Sure. I never know what day these episodes are coming out, so if you told me it was the spooky season and this was coming out in October, I'd say sure. (laughs) This episode comes out in five days. Ah, good. We're really, really baking up episodes now, huh? Our buffer is gone. We're rebuilding it. We're doing a double record today. Yeah, yeah, we'll be okay. But anyway, in light of this spookiest time of year, February, (laughs) I wanted to know, what are your favorite ghosts? Well, one ghost that I think about a lot, who has maybe the least screen time of almost any ghost that you could think about a lot. Is that because you can't see ghosts? No. (laughs) You can't see him, actually. It's the um ghost in a, like, weird dog costume giving a blowjob to another ghost in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. That's a good answer. Weirdly, not the only movie we've covered involving a ghost blowjob. Nope. The Ghostbusters ghost blowjob ghost is not as fun because there's no weird dog costume. Yeah. What's weird is I didn't even think of Ghostbusters when I was trying to think of ghosts. And, like... I think Slimer has been done to death by sequels and spinoffs, but OG Slimer is kind of fun. When he's flying around that hotel. Yeah, there are good ghosts in Ghostbusters. The glam rock ghost at the end, also good. I was thinking about Ghostbusters during this movie because I was like, you know, this is set in that time period. The movie comes out a year after Ghostbusters 2. Like, the Ghostbusters could honestly coexist with this movie. Yeah. It would very easily fit in the Ghostbusters world. I would enjoy that. I'm just saying, if, like, they went to raise a cult bookstore, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. This is a Paramount movie, too. They could have done it. I don't know how well it would have gone over, but I can believe it. Ghostbusters is Sony now. Was it always Sony? Isn't Ghostbusters, like, not about dead people? Um, Am I making that up? Yeah, Ghostbusters was Columbia, so never mind about that. Um, is Ghostbusters about dead people? Unclear, um, because some of them definitely aren't, right? Like, you have no sense that Slimer was ever a person. Right. But, like, the librarian lady does feel like she was once a person. Unless she's just a ghost that has taken on the form of a human, like she's mimicking something she's seen humans do. Right. I don't think... I picture the ghosts more similar to, like, the Danny Phantom ghost zone, where it's just an entirely different sphere of existence. Because otherwise, in the ghost zone, they're talking about, like, the death of children. Yeah, I'm trying to look up Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. I don't remember if he was a real person or if he was a ghost. (laughs) Um, He's the bad guy of Ghostbusters 2. Okay, according to Ghostbusters.Fandom.com, Vigo the Carpathian was born a prince in 1505 in the Balkan Kingdom of Carpathia. So he was like a wizard, lived to 105, and this says he was a ghost. So according to the Ghostbusters wiki, some ghosts are people. But only some. Well, it doesn't say others aren't, but like Slimer was never a person. Right. But that, you know, difference then... I don't know if it plays into Ghost, because Ghost is clearly set in a Christian mindset that I don't think Ghostbusters exists in. No, but like Ghostbusters, this movie is written by a guy who mostly believes in all the stuff that's in this movie. You can sense that. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that, but we should talk about some other ghosts. There are lots lots of classic ghosts. Hamlet's dad, a ghost. Good ghost, depending on the production. Uh, Inky, Pinky, Blinky, and Sue, I think are their names. Yes, I think that is that sounds right. Um, Casper. He's a friendly ghost. He's a friendly ghost. Mufasa, a ghost. Hamlet's dad. Hamlet's dad. I feel like there's some good horror movie ghosts, but I don't watch a lot of ghost horror movies. Would you consider Freddy Krueger a ghost? You know, I've never seen Nightmare still. You still haven't watched Nightmare? It's so no. Funny. You know, the one I was going to get to, which of course reflects my great love, which is A Christmas Carol, which oh, has four ghosts in it. Many ghosts. Yeah. Did you watch um the weird Apple TV Plus Christmas movie with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds? I did not watch Spirited, but I was a little more intrigued when I heard it was a musical. It was fun. Okay. 
I was playing Oblivion with it on, I think. And then okay. I got intrigued enough to watch it. Well, that's an endorsement. Mostly because it's a musical. Yeah, this year I did one stage production of Christmas Carol, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, and the 1970 musical Scrooge. Yeah, I think that next Christmas, you might as well give it a shot. Yeah, I've got a. This was a year of just hitting the classics, and I got to get back to checking out some of the new ones. There's a Richard Williams one that I want to watch. I haven't seen Mickey's Christmas Carol in a long time. There's a lot, a lot to work through. A lot of ghosts. There are a lot of ghosts, and there are a lot of Christmas Carol ghosts. There sure are. I'm pretty sure there's an episode of the Real Ghostbusters that is a Christmas Carol adaptation, which I would love to see. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You know the deal with the Real Ghostbusters, right? No clue. The Real Ghostbusters is the animated series based on the movie Ghostbusters. It had to be called The Real Ghostbusters because, like, unrelated, another project had been developed that has nothing to do with the movie but had the title Ghostbusters and was an animated series and got on the air first. Wow. So then this show was called The Real Ghostbusters to signal the kids, this is the one you want. Terrible. That it's the real Twitter handle. Exactly. It's real Donald Trump of animated TV shows. My God. What a world. Um, other good ghosts. The Sixth Sense, a lot of ghosts. What? Spooky. I didn't say who was ghosts. (laughs) I realized that after I said that. Yeah. There are ghosts in the Sixth Sense is not a spoiler. I guess like Pokemon the first movie, are there any ghosts in that? I don't think so. They're clones. Right. It's a shame that movie doesn't really have any romance. Uh, hasn't stopped us before. You know what? Brock probably, like, flirts with a lady. He probably flirts with a hundred ladies. We could easily cover Pokemon, the first movie. <laughs> a movie that I insist is good. I haven't seen it in a very long time. I haven't seen it since college. Also, I just love the confidence of calling it the first movie. Look, for them it worked out. For Doug, not so much. Yeah, I mean, how many movies does Pokemon have at this point? I don't know. I mean, you know, they only did three theatrically. After that, they all became direct-to-video. Yeah. I think I saw all three theatrical ones. I just saw the first two. The second one kind of scared me, but I liked it. Pokemon 2000. Yeah. Pokemon the Movie 2000. Pokemon the Movie 2000. Pokemon Movie... Pokemon 3 the Movie Spell of the Unknown. That's the one that freaked me out. Talk about ghosts. That's the Entei one. Yeah, that's kind of a ghost movie. Yeah. Who's... I don't know who's dead, but... I think it's the little girl's dad. I think the little girl's dad, like, is Entei. Or at least she thinks so. Yeah. What a movie. What a weird movie. That one I've only seen once. Yeah, Pokemon the Movie 2000. I remember the, like, ash turning to stone. That was very sad. That one's funny because it's got a prophecy that is dependent on ash existing. Isn't that, like, what prophecies, like, they predict people? I guess so, but they usually don't by name. Yes. Rare, you don't hear a lot of Oracle of Delphi predictions by name. Right, where they're like, one day Jeff will deal with this. (laughs) It also helps that he has a name easy to make puns on. Right, it's all wordplay. And then, of course, I have also seen Detective Pikachu. That's kind of a ghost movie. I guess there are ghost Pokemon in it. Yeah, any Pokemon movie is a ghost movie if it includes at least one ghost type Pokemon. Yeah, of course. I liked an early Pokemon when they actually put thought into ghost Pokemon being the ghosts of dead Pokemon. Yeah, that was great. Rather than kind of the cop-out in later movies. I don't know about this because I only watched the first or, three. Or later games where ghost Pokemon just seem to be like a separate species. That's dumb and they shouldn't do that. Like you don't, in the first game, you encounter ghost Pokemon in a graveyard of dead Pokemon that people are mourning in. Cool. And then. Like, later, I think they're just kind of Pokemon. Is it Cubone that wears the skull of its dead mother? Yes, indeed, it is Cubone that wears the skull of its dead mother. Awesome. Um, Pokemon, the first movie, 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was 10 out of 10. <laughs> Pokemon, the movie, 2000, a little better, 19%. Oh, boy. Pokemon 3, the movie, 21%. Really growing there. Yeah, wow, interesting. Highest rated Pokemon movie. Pokemon the movie The Power of Us with seven reviews from 2018. 2018? Yeah. I don't, I don't know about those reviews. <laughs> yeah. Who was reviewing that movie? 
And then uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu with 68%. Good movie. Which is low, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is whack. All right, well, now that we've uh, done our assessment of the films of the Pokemon franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready. Which one should we do? Should we do 2000? I, I don't remember much of anything about that. I mean, I remember that it's the Lugia movie, but I don't remember much of the human plotline of it. As long as Brock's in it, someone will get sexually harassed. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we should probably probably talk ghosts. Yes. Or ghost, period. Oh, you don't want to do an episode on CBS's ghosts? Um, It was annoyingly hard to find this movie on streaming because of <laughs> CBS and BBC's separate series called Ghosts. I've only seen like two or three episodes of CBS's Ghosts. People like it. I thought it was okay. But that's not what we're here to discuss today. Because this is We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the very least important question facing the world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are talking about one of the iconic romances of the 1990s, Jerry Zucker's Best Picture nominee, Ghost. This movie is, at the opening part pre-murder, this movie is sexy. Yes, the like first 20 minutes of this movie are pretty hot. I mean, it opens with two shirtless men like sl- smashing sledgehammers through a wall. Yes, I will say, I think this is the least hot I've ever seen Tony Goldwyn. Yes, but it's one of the hotter Swayze performances for sure. Yeah, Swayze's really hot. He's really pretty in a good way. It's not as hot as Dirty Dancing, but he set a very high bar for himself there. Well, Dirty Dancing, he's so physical, right? You're looking at his body, and it's so magnetic. Whereas this, he's mostly just, like, walking around. Yeah. I thought the um, pottery scene would feel more cheesy because of how often it's parodied. Right, I was introduced to it with Tony Hale yelling about it on Community. Right. I couldn't even tell you when I first heard about it because it's made fun of so much. But I thought it was effective in the context of the movie. Effective? It is hot. It is very hot. It's kind of a problem because the movie gets so hot so quickly and then just like never even attempts to reach that height again. Well, that's because he's dead. I know. He's he's like incorporeal. I thought there was going to be ghost sex. Did you really? I I really, well, to be fair, I did not know this movie was mostly about financial crimes. <laughs> I know, it's it's like the Scooby-Doo twist. Supernatural packaging on white-collar oh. crime. Yeah, I really thought this movie was mostly going to be about, she's in love with a ghost. I think I knew that it was about crime. I didn't realize it was money laundering. Right, this weirdly fits into, like, the 80s... Like, Wall Street movies, like like Wall Street and Working Girl and all of those. You're like, oh, this is just another one about, like, day traders. Nine to five. Day traders are immoral vibes. Right, it's just over and over again they're hitting that. And they're like, by the way, Swayze's a ghost. Ghosts are real. Good ghosts ascend to heaven to be in the heavenly chorus. And bad ghosts are dragged into the pit by the greatest looking little shadow demons. Good shadow demons. I love those guys. They're who I'm dating. The heaven light is not as good or effective. And I also think that not all people become ghosts. No, it's just people who have unfinished business. Right. So people usually just go to heaven or hell. And Swayze had the option to go to heaven. Yes. And then he chose not to because he wanted to stay with Demi Moore. He also hadn't really figured out what was going on. Yeah, it's not made super clear. And this is why you need a psychopomp. This is why you need Clarence. You need Clarence. You need the ferryman Charon. You need someone to tell you what's going on. Well, at least if you're meeting Charon, you should have change on you. Yeah, that's why I always carry cash now. I do not always carry cash. I was going to (laughs) say, it's not that long ago that we did game night and you were talking about like, it's funny that... He's shamed for only having $17. I stand by that. I now carry some cash so that I can sometimes go to the bagel shop near me that only accepts cash. Uh, Look, man, the frequency with which I have to use the little ATM in that bagel shop is outrageous. (laughs) I luckily have a 
ATM on the circle. So it's sure. not that far of a walk to avoid the fee. It is often. Well, my bank doesn't charge me fees at least. So that's good. So neither of us had seen Ghost before. No, I have not seen Ghost. It was one of those movies where I knew a lot about some of it. Like, I had scenes that I knew because of other media. Yeah. But I'm curious, just in general, what are your impressions, thoughts, takeaways from Jerry Zucker's Ghost? I I need to look at other movies that came out in 1990. Because I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it. Because Whoopi Goldberg is doing some fun work. I'm feeling a butt coming on. I just don't know about Best Picture nominee. So I feel similarly. I think it's a, a fine film. And there are some sequences that I really like. Like I said, I think the the pottery scene is great. I really liked the sequence where Swayze finally convinces Demi Moore that he's really there. I think that's incredibly effective. But I also think there's a... It, it's long. And, you know, I say that having gone to see Titanic the other day, and Titanic, I was riveted the entire time. There's definitely some drag. I did enjoy Whoopi Goldberg's dress that she wore to the bank. Oh, the, like, pink outfit? Yes. Yeah. See, like, okay, here's one. Misery. Misery, great movie. Great movie, not nominated for Best Picture. Right, I mean, I look at the list and I'm like, oh, Total Recall. Total Recall's never gonna be a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, like, there's a lot that I would swap there. I mean, this year at the Oscars, infamously, is the year that Dances with Wolves wins over Goodfellas. And I haven't seen Dances with Wolves. I have no opinion on it. I like westerns. I generally like Kevin Costner. Obviously, Goodfellas is a classic. Yeah, I'm just surprised that Kathy Bates got the Oscar, but Misery doesn't seem to have any other recognition. I mean, they did more of that back then. Yeah. And it still does happen occasionally. And frankly, where it tends to happen often is in... The actress categories. Yeah. You know, so you get like a Natalie Portman and Jackie, but kind of nothing else for that movie. Or like um, the Elizabeth Debicki pieces of a woman nomination the other, like two years ago. Yeah. To me, a lot of that also comes down to they like to give biopic actors awards, even if the biopic itself is mediocre. Sure. Um, yeah. So Ghost, though, was a huge hit. And Got five Oscar nominations in total. It got nominations for Best Picture, Best Score, Best Editing for Walter Murch, Director of Return to Oz. And it won Best Supporting Actress for Whoopi Goldberg and Best Original Score. Um, Notably, Whoopi's nomination this year made her the first black actress to have been nominated for Lead and Supporting Oscars. Oh my god. (laughs) In 1991? Yeah. Oof. Well, I mean, we're, we're still 10 years off from the Halle Berry win. Oh god, wow. This movie uses music very effectively. It sure does. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they obviously can't get a nomination for Unchained Melody because it's a 50-year-old song. I just feel like there should be an award for best use of an unoriginal song. I mean, I love that idea. Because that alone is an art form. But I guess that's like sound design, sound direction. It's usually a different department that does that, though. Yeah. Gotta figure out some way to work that in. So it sounds like we feel broadly similarly about this movie, which is like, I liked it fine. There are some sequences that I really enjoyed, but it doesn't it doesn't rise to the level for me of some of the other movies that I loved that year or, you know, some of the other, like, great romantic dramas. Right. Yeah, it's not a movie that I will, like, revisit. And again, I'm gonna say this, to be fair, I saw Titanic on Sunday and everything is paling in comparison to it. I mean, I think you'd feel the same way without that comparison. Yeah. I just think that uh, it's a movie I am glad I have seen, because it's a very iconic film. But I don't know, it's not a movie I'm probably going to, like, go back to. Sure. But what's funny is, like, people did at the time, right? It's not just that this was a Best Picture nominee. It was the top movie of 1990 internationally and the second highest grossing 1990 film in North America. The only movie that beat it is Home Alone, which gets kids going to it. Yeah, gotta get that family money. The family Christmas money, oof. It's perfect, right? So actually, so I'm curious, Mark, let's just do the top 10 for 1990, okay? Okay. All right, number one is Home Alone, like I said. Number two is Ghost, all right? Is Dances with Wolves on there? 
Dances with Wolves is number three. Okay. So it's still from the period where if something's winning Best Picture, it's going to make a lot of money, even if it's a three-hour Western. Right. <laughs> number four is what a movie a we've done on this podcast. Um, it's kind of like a, a Star is Born performance, even though it's not the first oh, movie that the star appeared in. Pretty Woman come out that year? That's right. Pretty Woman. It was only number four. Wow. Pretty Woman's number four for the year. Yeah. It made $178 million. I'd put that over this. Yeah, but also, it opened with $11 million. The legs that these movies had, it was crazy. My God, it's just such a different market. Okay, number five is an adaptation. It's a comic book movie, but not of, like, a Marvel or DC superhero. No, that that was not number five. Dick Tracy was the fifth highest grossing film that year. I thought it was a flop. Dick Tracy's number nine. It made $103 million. Okay. Because I saw, I was looking at the Oscar winners and Dick Tracy was on it. It got nominations for supporting actor, art direction, cinematography, costume design, makeup, original song, and sound. And it made worldwide $162 million. Two thirds of that's in the U.S. That's a movie I gotta watch. Anyway, uh, no, number five is a different comic book adaptation. A A great movie to have a pizza with. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is correct. <laughs> Wait, really? That's a comic yeah. book? I think yeah. of it as a cartoon. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles started as like an underground comic book, not really targeted at children. It's a parody of Frank Miller's Daredevil. So, like, Daredevil fights the hand. They fight, what, the fist or something? <laughs> or the foot? And Daredevil's taught by a guy named Stick. The turtles are taught by Splinter. They get their powers from, like, radioactive goop seeping through the sewer. The premise is that, like, that's the goop that was in a truck that hit Matt Murdock and gave him his powers and that it seeped through the grate. The whole thing is originally a parody of, like, dark and gritty Marvel comics of the 80s. That's funny. I had no idea. I just picture the cartoon. Cowabunga. Uh, Number six is a Cold War thriller with an iconic performance. Iconic largely for not bothering with an accent. Oh, is that The Hunt for Red October? Yes, The Hunt for Red October starring Sean Connery as a Soviet submarine captain. Yes, extremely Soviet in vibes. Uh, Number seven is a movie that is largely set on Mars. Or Barsoom, as we will call it soon. Oh, I thought, I was like, no, it's not a John Carter movie. Um, Largely set on Mars. Oh, is it, is Total Recall? Yeah, Total Recall. I only know that because you just mentioned it. Uh, number eight's a sequel to a hit, the hit action movie of 1988. Bad Boys 2. That's later in the 90s. Okay. I don't know. Uh, it stars the husband of our movie this week's lead actress. Ashton Kutcher. No, no the husband Bruce at the Willis. time. Yeah. Um, Bruce Willis. Oh, Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2, yes. Number nine is Dick Tracy. And number 10 is an action star pivoting towards more family, family-friendly material. Uh, Kindergarten Cop? Kindergarten Cop? Oh my god, wow. I can't believe I pulled that out. You did really well. That's one of your best ones. Who knew? 1990. I mean, it helps that I did just look at some of the Best Picture nominees, and you mentioned some, but... Right, and so you saw Kindergarten Cop and had that on your mind. Yeah, that was not actually listed in the Oscars. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never seen it, actually. My only family Schwarzenegger is Jingle All the Way. I don't think I've seen any of his family movies. Well, Jingle All the Way ain't good, so you can leave that one alone. I was not planning on watching it. Speaking of comedy, if I can ham-fistedly transition us back to Ghost. Okay. It's directed by Jerry Zucker, which is unusual because this is the first movie he directed on his own. He previously had been part of the directing trio with his brother and one of their friends in the Zucker Abrams and Zucker comedy triumvirate who directed... Things like Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie. They, you know, wrote The Naked Gun. These were, like, not just comedy people, but, like, parody people. Yeah, I would never have guessed the same person directed Ghost and Airplane. Right, and I was reading an L.A. Times piece from when this movie came out, and he was insisting, like, I'm not trying to distance myself from comedy. I'm not, like, trying to transition my career. I was just, you know, it got hard to find scripts that three people were all interested in. So I was looking for a script that grabbed me, and uh, I saw this one. That's fair enough. I don't think a a trio can exist together for every movie. That's a lot of people to manage for a long time. Yeah. What's weird, though, is that then he directs Ghost, a Best Picture nominee that makes just 
gobs of money. And since then, he's only made two movies. Really? In 95, he makes First Night, which is a Sean Connery, King Arthur movie that nobody really likes. And then in 2001, he makes Rat Race, which is like a dumb comedy movie. And like, sure, nobody really liked either of those movies, but he took five years in between each of them. And you figure at some point, if he tried to make like anything even vaguely reminiscent of Ghost in like the 20 years after this movie, people would have given him money. I mean, he probably had enough money. Right, no, it's it's more interesting to me that, like, it feels like a choice. Like, the fact that he made this movie, and, like, had a history of successful movies before this, he's like, he could have made another movie if he wanted to. Yes. It definitely is his choice to not be directing more. Which is just, you know, interesting. It is always interesting to see directors who just, like, stop directing. Yeah, he's like, I'm good, I guess. I'm sure he still makes some good residuals on the film Ghost. Yes, definitely. Well, we we threw him, you know, whatever chunk of $6. Total. Right, yeah. We did uh, $3 Mondays on AMC Theaters on Demand. You do get AMC points for renting movies from them. Believe me, I know. PSA to the audience. Yeah, uh, that's how I finance my mozzarella sticks. So Zucker is, like, looking at doing a movie, and Paramount had already bought this screenplay from Bruce Joel Rubin. And like I said earlier, Bruce Joel Rubin is like a true believer in this kind of stuff. Like all of his movies are into like metaphysical kind of stuff. You know, he wrote Jacob's Ladder. He Hmm. wrote Brainstorm, The Time Traveler's Wife, Stuart Little 2. Like all of these movies are things that he wrote that really reflect that metaphysical attitude. Also Stuart Little Also Stuart Little 2. Well, Stuart Little 2 reflects the fact that like... That didn't really set in at first. Stuart Little 2 reflects that sort of surreal experience of watching a mouse ride a skateboard and like fight a falcon. The Stuart Little series is just fascinating. We should do one of those. 2 is the one where they really go all in on special effects. Again, the bad guy is a falcon. Directed by Real Housewife of Beverly Hills, Crystal Minkoff's husband, Rob Minkoff. Director of The Lion King. And also of, of the Stuart Little films. Yeah, Stuart Little 2, you've got, of course, Michael J. Fox as Stuart Little. Of course, Nathan Lane as Snowbell the Cat. But you've also got now James Woods as the Falcon. I knew it was somebody good. Yeah, and then you also have the first Stuart Little being written by M. Night Shyamalan. That's right. Like, it's just a weird series. So anyway, Bruce Joel Rubin, like, very much is kind of a believer in this stuff. He did the whole 60s Eastern mysticism thing. Oof. Yes, problematic, but I think influences the kinds of movies he makes down the road. He tells this story about his first trip being in 1965. His roommate was going to give him an LSD trip, and he's holding the eyedropper over his eye to, like, do one drop, and screwed up and squirted the entire dropper into his eye. Jesus Christ. So he talks about, like, his first trip was intense. Yeah, I don't know if I could do eyedropper drugs. I struggle putting in eye drops as a concept. Yeah, I'm I'm not going near any of that, thank you. But it's also funny that like he's really into this all this stuff, and so he's writing stuff like Brainstorm, he's writing Jacob's Ladder, and like Jacob's Ladder in particular is a screenplay that doesn't get produced until nineteen ninety, the same year as Ghost, but it's like floating around in Hollywood throughout the eighties and Like, the blacklist didn't exist yet, but it would show up in articles about, like, these are the screenplays that are so good, no one will touch them. And he told the LA Times, when the movie was coming out, that he had hoped Milos Forman or Stanley Kubrick would direct it, and that he cried when he heard Jerry Zucker was doing it. Oh my god. Well, because the guy directed Airplane and, like, worked on The Naked Gun and stuff, so he's like, he's gonna turn this into a joke. I, that's fair assumption. It just feels dramatic. But also... This man probably is dramatic. I I think so. They did work together for like a year rewriting it, which Ruben was very offended by initially, and I think still slightly resents, but has come to agree with some of the choices. I wonder what they changed. Do you know? Um, I, I didn't get a lot of stuff. I mean, in part, I know that they worked on making the Whoopi character like more fun, as opposed to just being a very serious metaphysical figure. Which I think the movie kind of needs. Yeah, I can't imagine a serious Odame Brown. Right, and I mean, it would be a very different character. But you can imagine Zucker as a guy who's like, we need, we need to make this light. <laughs> yeah, something to lift the spirits. The movie's a bummer. 
It's very sad. Yeah. Um, one thing I know that they shot but didn't use, they shot a Patrick Swayze Demi Moore sex scene and then decided to cut it because they felt like it was redundant with the pottery scene. I mean, you get a semi-sex scene. Or was it like a separate sex scene? It was like a separate sex scene. Oh, okay. Yeah, you don't really, like, when you hit something that sexy, you don't need a full sex scene. You don't need to make it explicit. Movie. Yeah. Bruce Joel Rubin, the writer, loves to give interviews about this movie, and, like, every five years, even if he can't get anyone else, you can always get Bruce Joel Rubin to give you a couple of stories for it, which is a little tricky because then the stories are not always consistent with each other. So, there are some stories that float around with this movie that are widely disputed. The biggest one is related to Whoopi Goldberg, who says that when she initially went out for the movie, she was told that, like, basically her known brand was too big for the role that like people were worried that audiences would just see Whoopi and it would overwhelm the movie and they moved on and she tells a story that I think she heard from Ruben or heard from her agent that Patrick Swayze who she hadn't met at the time when he came on like insisted on like you've got to get Whoopi Goldberg Whoopi Goldberg's got to be the person in this movie Jerry Zucker insists that this story probably didn't happen and if it did nobody told him he says that he'd always wanted Whoopi and that Paramount had been pushing Tina Turner and it just, like, took him a while to convince them. I understand the argument of, like, yeah. why you wouldn't want Whoopi. And, you know, even the Whoopi vehicles of this period, you know, a sister act, a Jumpin' Jack Flash, are using Whoopi Goldberg energy. And this movie isn't really. Even as much as she is what comic relief this movie has, it's much more subdued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not over the top. Right, but at the same time, you're only, like, five years removed from the color purple. So, you know, the evidence is there that she could do it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, she is fun, but she's also, like, grounded. Yeah. This is one of those movies that, like, basically everybody in Hollywood went out for. So, like, every young actress of the period, Nicole Kidman, Julia Roberts, like, all of them. Demi Moore is the first main person cast, at which point they offer the role to Bruce Willis. They're like, oh, that'll be hot if we have the married couple on screen. Bruce Willis turned it down. Uh, which he later called a knucklehead move. Harrison Ford said he didn't understand it. (laughs) At least he's honest, that man. By far the funniest person to have been allegedly offered, or at least considered for the role, is Paul Hogan. And you're like, well, what would this movie be if Crocodile Dundee were the ghost? Oh my god. That I'd be interested. Not Paul Hogan. Crocodile Dundee, the character. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how different they are. I mean, fair. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, if this movie would work as well with different actors, but I do think that they are both what the movie needs. I think it'll an interesting thing for us to watch for is there was a Vanity Fair story, like, two weeks ago that revealed that Channing Tatum has the rights to Ghost currently. Hmm. And he really wants to produce and star in a remake. I don't think we need another Ghost. I don't either, but... I think he's an interesting person to do it if we have to. I mean, he has kind of a similar career to Swayze in a way. Sexy dancer movies, dramatic turns, and also, you know, the action movie. I don't know if Swayze's done as much broad comedy. Yeah, but, you know, it it does feel like the kind of thing that Channing Tatum would be good at. Channing Tatum... Make Jupiter Ascending 2 happen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's the person to contact to make that movie happen. I want more Channing Tatum weird wolf dog thing. Well, you could see Dog. Uh, if Dog was about Channing Tatum's character from Jupiter Ascending, I would have watched Dog. I did see Dog. Of course you did. Because you yeah. have a problem. Well, my problem is that uh, I didn't like Dog as much as I hoped. <laughs> it's not even that it's bad. It's that... The, the movie is about a guy who really wants to be a mercenary. Dog is about huh. a, a U.S. military vet who who has, like, PTSD. Not, like, American sniper levels of PTSD, but, like, you know, it's affecting him. Yeah. It's, like, affecting him to the point that, like, he can't hold down a steady job or anything like that. Because it's just, like, messing with his life. He really wants to sign with a defense contractor. Like, basically, to be a mercenary. And his commanding officer won't sign him a letter of recommendation because he's like, you should not be in the field. And he convinces his commanding officer, like, give me a chance. And his officer's like, all right, drive this dog across the country to the funeral for the soldier it worked with. And that'll show me that you can actually get something done. 
What a weird concept. Right. It's like the dog stuff, which is what I expected to be my issue because I don't care about dogs. The dog stuff works pretty well. Channing Tatum's good in it. But the whole time I'm just like, so this movie's just about like a heartwarming story of becoming a mercenary? Yikes. Yeah, that is, you know, phrasing that I don't know if I can get behind. Well, that's not phrasing that appears in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Framing. Excuse me. Um, as far as uh, Ghost, in addition to Channing Tatum having the rights, there was a gender-flipped version in Japan in 2010. Interesting. And in 2013, Akiva Goldsman was announced to be working on a TV pilot that never materialized. I just don't know if we need more Ghost. Well, I'm just like, what is a Ghost TV show? Is it just that Gina Rodriguez show on ABC where she writes obituaries and the ghosts of the people she's writing about come and chat with her? I guess it's more like solving crime of dead people. It's just like, I, I, I think the reason this didn't go is that this is not a story that can support an ongoing series. Yes. Unless the concept is ghosts. Right, which is which now is airing on CBS. CBS ghosts. Um, this did win the Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film. Uh, sure. Why not? The Saturn Awards are so weird. It was also nominated for the Hugo. The, those are such weird awards. The Hugo Award for feature film this year, the nominees are Ghost, Total Recall, The Witches, Back to the Future Part 3, and the winner is Edward Scissorhands. Sure. I mean, like, Edward Scissorhands is the best of those five movies. Yes. I feel like the problem with the Saturn Awards, too, is just, like, it's so much Marvel. Now? Yeah. Now. Yeah. What are these awards? Are you looking at the Saturn Awards? I'm looking at the Saturn Awards. Do you know what won... A Saturn Award? Top Gun Maverick. I mean, Top Gun Maverick, we're going to talk about this in two weeks. Great movie. Yeah, but why do they have an action category? Oh, best action or adventure film since 1994. Yeah. Um, they have too many categories. I'm, I'm seeing best science fiction film, best horror film, best fantasy film, best animated film, best international film, best action or adventure film, best independent film, best thriller film, best comic to movie film. I'm sorry, the Saturn... I don't, I don't know that you need a best independent film. You're never going to like pick something interesting. <laughs> no, they did give it to Duel last year. Duel's pretty cool. But they also nominated Dream Horse. <laughs> another movie that I have seen. Wait, the Saturn Award nominees for best independent film for 2021 slash 2022 for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. You've got Duel, an honest-to-God science fiction movie, a pretty good one that you should watch, Mark. I've seen Duel. Okay, Duel, good movie. Then you've got Alice, the like Kiki Palmer, like black exploitation y kind of movie. You got Dream Horse, the movie about a horse. Which, uh, you know what? I- I'm sorry. Dream Horse is kind of good. Yeah, I thought you liked it. Dream Horse is good. Dream Horse is much better than Dog. Um, you've got Mass, the school shooting movie. Like, what is this list? Why are these movies at the Saturn Awards? I guess they're just trying to be like a real award show. And. I just think if you're going to have this many categories, you need to lean in like the MTV Movie Awards or the Teen Choice Awards and start adding some just batshit categories. I'm just sorry. If your organization is the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, then those are the movies you should be awarding. I love weird awards. That's what I'm deciding. Well, last week you were making fun of me for my devotion to the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards, so now who looks dumb? Um, I'm not making fun of your devotion to them. I'm making fun of you for spending your time curating the Wikipedia. Well, they're airing on Friday on PBS, so you can set your DVR and everyone else can go back and hopefully they are available to stream somewhere. Yes, but unfortunately you've already been beaten to publishing the winners, though. I'm fine with that. It's, it's good for the page. It's healthy. Well, I am glad that the community of AARP Movies for Grownups is growing. Yeah. All right, should we talk about the romance of Ghost? Ah, yes, Ghost. A film about a ghost. Actually, multiple sure ghosts. It could be called Mostly Ghosts. Just the ones. It could be called Ghosts, but then it would be airing weekly on CBS. <laughs> Who's your favorite ghost from Ghosts? <laughs> I haven't seen Ghosts. <laughs> just pull up the poster. <laughs> um, that guy. Which one? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Again, I've seen like two and a half episodes. Let's okay. Images from the CBS's ghosts. I like the uh, I like the mean Victorian lady. Well, this is the British one, which is different apparently. Mean Victorian lady sounds fun. The Boy Scout. 
weird. Oh, with the arrow through his throat? He's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I've seen like two and a half episodes. Oh, ghosts. Okay, sure. Sure, Will. All right, so we're here to discuss the romance of CBS's ghosts. <laughs> okay. Um, Will they start a bed and breakfast? Yes, it's the premise of the show. <laughs> oh my god, of course it is. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of the movie we are discussing, except for one time we did do a TV show. What if? Uh, <laughs> Still not officially canceled. There's never been an announcement. We break down the romance into five points to guide conversation. Will, can you take us to point one? Yeah, point number one is... Just sort of introducing us to the relationship between Demi Moore's Molly and Patrick Swayze's Sam. And this relationship is in a weird place. So, here's a question. You buy a new apartment. A gorgeous, huge loft. You smash through a wall. And you discover a ton of, like, hidden furniture. They're like explorers hacking through the jungle with machetes. Like, they wouldn't, don't know what's here. Wouldn't there be, like, a door into that room? They seem surprised to see that room there. Not if it's been boarded up because someone died there, and now they're a ghost. Yeah, but we know that's not true. We don't know that's not true. That could be a thing in this movie. Anyway, it's a nice apartment. It's never contradicted. They never say someone didn't die in that apartment and become a ghost. Well, you could say that about literally any room in the world in this universe. I think we should. Okay. But so they are moving in together into this big loft. And what we learn about their relationship status is that he has never said I love you. He just says ditto when she says I love you. A thing that I, I imagine would be cute at first and then annoying. Very quickly annoying. Yes. We're also told that she had never wanted to discuss marriage before, which I guess means he had brought it up at some point, and she was like, no, not interested. I get that vibe. She's got that, like, artsy thing going on. Yeah. Do you love me, Sam? What do you think? Why don't you ever say it? What do you mean, why don't I ever say it? I say it all the time. I feel no, like... No, you don't. You say ditto, and that's not the same. People say I love you all the time and it doesn't mean anything. Sometimes you need to hear it. I need to hear it. She's the artist. He's a banker. He's like, oh, but taxes. And she says, no, but art. Yeah. He is just like a Wall Street guy who's a, a very diligent, hard worker. Tony Goldman is his assistant. Assistant or just best friend slash co-worker? I think it's both. I'm basing my understanding of how Wall Street offices operate largely on Fair Play, which is a movie that was at Sundance this year and will be on Netflix sometime later in the year. It seems like he is the sort of like assistant stock analyst, but Tony Goldwyn is actually secretly embezzling money from the company. Hmm. Yeah, I um, just kind of took it as they were the same level. Except Swayze has an office. Oh, true. And then he is in the... In the pit. The pit. Anyway, Swayze is, as you said, the stock guy. Demi Moore is the artist. She's a sculptor. And when she can't sleep, she just goes and throws pots. Weird. But... Hot. I guess. Like, when you see it, she's, like, just wearing, like, a button-down that the sleeves are cut off. It's, like, at the bottom, it's, like, all wet from the from the clay. It's a sexy scene. That is a very sexy scene. Yeah. This movie makes such good use of Unchained Memory, Melody. Right, that's the thing. Is Like like I said earlier, I know that he's dead, but A, I thought there was going to be ghost sex. And B, it just comes on so strong that then you're like, okay, where do we go from here? It's the La La Land problem. I mean, the difference between La La Land and this is that this is also a crime movie. Yeah. Which is which is weird. Which is weird. It's almost like this movie shouldn't be as sexy as it is at the beginning. Yeah, but I'm I'm really loath to say that any movie is too sexy. I think if anything, it should be more sexy for the rest of the movie. Right. But again, he is a ghost. Look, I'm just saying. We could have figured something out. They do get a kiss in. Right! But, Will, let's just, like, imagine if they go any further, 
she is doing it with Whoopi Goldberg's body. Okay, frankly, that's an issue that I have with this movie, which is that we should get to see her and Whoopi Goldberg. Because, like, that's how Demi Moore is experiencing it. And by that point, like, we're in Demi Moore's sense of things. And, I don't know, it feels cheap. It feels like a cop-out. I kind of took it as, like, because of magic, even she was experiencing or witnessing seeing him. Maybe. And th- to be fair, that is the argument that Jerry Zucker makes. But, I don't know, I feel like, or at the very least, like, the camera's, like, moving around during that and, like, cutting some. I think, like, every time it switches, it should go back and forth. Because I think that we should be getting, like, what's physically happening and what's emotionally happening. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they're having their life. They're going around. They go see Macbeth. When they're walking home, she announces that she wants to marry him. And he's, like, surprised. And he's, like, oh, wow. And then she asks why he never says I love you, why he always says ditto. And he's, like, I don't know. People, people just say I love you all the time. I love you, man. They don't really mean it. But I mean, ditto. That's what Patrick Swayze sounds like in this movie. Yeah, it's so annoying when he says ditto. Uh, Anyway, like, immediately after that, he is mugged and killed. Yeah, just, like, totally immediately dead. Bleeding out in the street. I watched this with my wife. She pointed out, Demi Moore effectively has to watch her man die twice in this movie. Because he bleeds out in her arms. And then she also has to watch him ascend to heaven. One of those is probably comforting, at least in some way. I don't know. She's, like, been grieving and, like, going through this weird experience, and she then gets to reconnect with him, and then he's gone again. I just think it would mess up your recovery process. It would. But also, I don't. I feel like it would be nice to have, like, proof that heaven exists, if only for yourself, for when you I die. I suppose. Or she might also, I don't know if she could see what happened to Tony Goldman. She might have proof that there are fun little shadow goblins. Yeah. I love They're kind of creepy. They're so good. I read a thing that said that they got the sound for those guys by playing baby cries backwards. Ugh. That just sounds scary. Yeah. I love them. Anyway, point number two, uh, Swayze is dead. Picked up your shirts today. I don't know why. Mr. Reynolds told me to tell you hello. I broke into tears. It's like I think about you every minute. It's like I can still feel you. And a ghost. And a ghost, right. So he's like trying to interact with the world. He's trying to get Molly to realize that he's there. But she doesn't because he's a ghost and she can't see or hear ghosts. During this period, he's like in the apartment when a mugger comes by and is the mugger who killed him. And Swayze protects her from the mugger by getting a cat to jump at him. And then that's when it becomes like he has to protect her. And like Molly's having a hard time moving on. She's like saving everything. She's barely going outside. She's just really fixated on her dead, not quite husband. Yeah. But this is when he follows this guy home, sees it's the person that killed him, and this is when he, like, really starts focusing on just trying to protect her. Right, because he realizes that he's been murdered, like, as opposed to just, like, a random killing. He's been targeted, and the guy who did it is clearly, like, looking for something and coming back. But anyway, meanwhile, point number three, Tony Goldwyn starts making moves, like, immediately. Immediately, but I can't tell if it's to, like, protect himself or something. No, I think he's just making moves. I think it's unrelated. He's a bad dude. I think Tony Goldwyn thought he was going to get away with the murder because, obviously, you know, it's a random dude. Like, it was accepted as a mugging. Who's counting on a ghost blowing up their spot? Fair. Yeah, fair. But why? Why? I would just feel so, like... He's such a bad person. He's, like, comically evil, mustache twirling. It's a degree of cruelty that the movie never really engages with. The idea that, like, he seems to have genuinely cared about Swayze, to genuinely care about Demi Moore. But once he realizes Swayze is going to find out about his financial malfeasance, he's like, okay, time to hire a hitman to murder my best friend. (laughs) Like, he seems to have had no compunctions about this. And is just interested in preserving himself and his ill-gotten wealth. 
Yeah, he's a bad dude. He's, like, cartoonishly evil in a way that the movie doesn't really engage with. And part of it is that he immediately, like, starts horning in on Demi Moore. And at first, you're like, he's just being a good friend, like, encouraging her to go outside and that sort of thing. But then there's the point where, like, they come back the one time and he takes, like, the smallest pretext to just take off his shirt and hang out shirtless before he tries to make out with her. It was honestly so funny to see that because it was so absurd. Yeah. And he, like, gets pretty close. He is almost successful. Yeah. And still makes the deal, like, all right, we'll get dinner tomorrow. Like, which she's open to. Listen to me, Molly. I gotta ask you about something. Yeah. He needs to borrow $4 million. When you said that you thought that Sam was here, that he was talking to you, what did you feel? What did he say to you? Why? What does that have to do with anything? It's just... Listen to me for a second. This psychic lady, I want to know what she told you. I want to know exactly what she said. Stop this. It doesn't matter. It wasn't real. It's weird. (laughs) But also, I get it. Like, I think she's just horny. I don't think she's looking for love. Oh, I don't fault Molly for any of this. No. This is all on absolute psychopath Tony Goldwyn. Yeah, absolute freak of nature. So anyway, that's going on. Meanwhile, point four, Swayze finally convinces her that ghosts are real. Why are you doing this to me? Do you hear me? Why are you doing this to me? I can't. I just, I just can't. What did May tell her? Tell her she's wearing the shirt that I spilt the margarita on and the earrings I gave her for Christmas. Molly, Sam says to tell you you're wearing the shirt that he spilled the margarita on and the earrings he gave you for Christmas. Don't you see I'm not a fake? Not about this. He does this with the help of Odebay who she had previously dismissed as a crank after police sergeant Stephen Root showed her Odame's criminal record. Right. So she, like, sort of believed her. Yeah, because Odame was saying things that only Swayze would know. Like, for example, ditto. And then, you know, is convinced fairly to not believe her. But then Patrick Swayze learns how to, like, start floating objects, which really adds some reality. Right. So he's able to, like float a penny around in the air. This is one of the most effective sequences in the movie where Whoopi's on one side of the door, Demi Moore is on the other side. Whoopi is just repeating things that Swayze says. And finally, Demi Moore still doesn't believe her. So Swayze like slides this penny all the way up the door and then like holds it out to her. So you see it like moving through the air and it's all just like played so sincerely and intensely that it's one of the moments in this movie where you're like, this is just working as like, honest-to-God romance. Mm-hmm. Like, him going to extraordinary lengths. It's so hard to do this small thing with the penny, but he's making it happen because he's in love with her. They're very in love, even if they're weird. They're, they're weirdos, man. So he convinces her that ghosts are real. At that point, then, is when he gets to possess Otome. And mm-hmm. he morphs into her body, and he and Demi Moore get to have a nice kiss. Right. And then <laughs> then Tony Goldwyn shows up to just, like, commit murder. Right. At this point, you're like, I guess the movie is ending, right? They've gotten back together. This feels nice. And then Tony Goldwyn shows up, and you're like, right, this is a crime movie. This is about financial malfeasance. Right. And so he shows up, does an attempted murder, first on Odomay Brown, then on Demi Moore. Yeah, he holds her at gunpoint, because now he's had the existence of ghosts revealed to him. So he's holding Demi Moore at gunpoint and demanding that he be given a check for all the money that he had tried to steal. But then eventually manipulating the world around him, Tony Goldwyn dies and is dragged to hell. Cool. Cool. I love the choreography in Tony Goldwyn's death scene where the movie's really going out of its way to show that Swayze is not responsible. Like, Goldwyn swings the chain with the big hook and you watch it swing back and forth a couple of times with Swayze not interacting with it before it finally shatters the window that smashes through Goldwyn's chest. They're like, don't worry, he's a hero. He doesn't kill people. He just lets them die. Uh, true. Um, yeah. So then he goes to heaven and the movie ends. Yeah. I love you, Molly. I've always loved you. 
Ditto. As he's going, he says, I've always loved you. And then he gets to give his little, uh, you know, the love inside. You take it with you. Which, that's a thing that Zucker told Bruce Joel Rubin, we need a Casablanca line. We need, like, a great farewell line for this character. Which is where they get the, the love inside. You take it with you. And I read this in an article that was, a, like, 30 years later, looking at Ghost. Which I enjoyed just because they were like, they really wanted a Casablanca line that people would remember. But instead, if people remember, you in danger, girl. It is funny that that is the most popular line in the movie yeah so mark uh, do you find the romance of ghost believable yes i mean we don't if like just in terms of the actual romance between them together it is believable because why not we don't see much of it i'd say the biggest red flag is tony goldwin but his engagement with swayze suggests that he might literally be a psychopath yeah because we never, even when he, like, realizes there's a ghost, we never have any inkling of, like, remorse that he murdered his best friend to cover up his embezzlement. No, he really is, like, he has no guilt whatsoever about this. So, I don't know. Where would you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? I don't know. Is this, like, a 9? I'd say I'm fine with that, honestly. Here's my wrinkle, actually, that might bring me down to an 8. She apparently put up with him not saying I love you for a long time. Okay, yes. You got it. I'm down to an eight. Yeah, okay. Do you think Molly or Sam is dateable? Um, Sam, no. Say I love you. Yeah. I I couldn't stomach Get over yourself. That That alone, I couldn't stomach. Molly, more of a yes. We don't see a ton of Molly happy beyond just Molly is art girl. Right. She's not that much of a character. This really is Sam's movie. It's a movie about a ghost. It is it it is called Ghost. Yeah, on CBS. So I'm gonna go with yes, but there's right, not sure. too much. I don't feel like there's as much depth to Molly's character. No, uh, Molly and Sam will not stay together. He is a ghost. He we see him ascend into the light. That feels pretty final to me. So Mark, if you did have to pick one person from the film Ghost to date, whom would you choose? I am not. I I don't know. This one's a struggle. This is tough, because there's not a ton of characters. Odame Brown's too much for me. Too chaotic. Her sister's, honestly, even more chaotic. And and her sisters are, like, proper charlatans. Yes. I'm gonna go with the nice old lady that gets conned by Odame Brown. Because she's just looking for some closure. That's a good answer. I was gonna say the train ghost... Oh my god, Subway Ghost is creepy. This is the ghost who haunts a train. He is creepy at first, but, like, it takes almost nothing to get him on board with being very helpful. I know, but I don't like the yelling. I'm not saying I want to marry the guy, but I'd give it a shot. That's fair. And, like, for me to interact with him, I would also have to be a ghost. And then you've got forever, presumably. I mean, plenty of time to meet other people as well. Right. All right, Mark, last question. Yes. Should the film Ghost be made into a stage musical? I don't think so. I don't know. I think it's probably happened or going to happen. But I don't know if we need it. Any particular reason? I just think that, I mean, I guess music is really effective in it. And I, it's seeing people try and pretend not to see him. But how do you handle the incorporeal stuff? Well, apparently the visual effects were really cool. Was there actually a Ghost musical? Yes, of course there was. Uh, the of course. Ghost the Musical premiered in Manchester in the United Kingdom in 2011. It premiered on Broadway in 2012, ran for a couple of months. The consensus on the show is that it was bad, but had really cool visual effects. I think I remember this, and I think that's also why I was like, no, we don't need it, because I kind of remember that it was bad. Yeah, they got Tony nominations for lighting and scenic design, which makes sense, and featured actress for Divine Joy Randolph as Odame Brown in her breakout role. All right. Well, I think that is it for Ghost. Next week, we are covering not just a Best Picture nominee, but a Best Picture winner as we celebrate the release of Creed 3 by watching the original Rocky. A movie about a sport that I do not like, but the movie you'll hear my thoughts on next week. It's good. Until yes. then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod and email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show.
Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Ghost? Hmm. Stay alive if you want your love to last. That does seem central. <laughs> don't, um, I would don't say, be murdered. I'm going to say, if your partner is saying I love you, you better have a really good reason not to. And if you insist on not saying it, you might wind up dead. Wow. All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye.